Dad used to have a saying that uh, be kind to the bees and the bees will be kind to you. And that's pretty much our ethos. Hello and welcome to the Scottish Parliament podcast. My name is Stuart and I work in the Parliament's communications team. In this episode, I'd like to introduce you to somebody you might not have imagined would work here. His name is Stuart Hood, and since 2014, he has been the Scottish Parliament's beekeeper. Beekeeping is quite a a diverse uh, role, quite a diverse job, but our real responsibility is one thing and one thing only, and that's to, to care and tend for our bees the best way we can. The Scottish Parliament is home to several beehives. You'd be forgiven for not knowing this, since they are mostly out of sight of the general public, tucked away in a corner of the MSP garden. Stuart pays regular visits to the hives here to check on the bees, along with many other sites across Edinburgh and the Lothians for his business, Hood's Honey. So, what does beekeeping entail exactly? Uh, A lot of what we do is through experience, uh, knowledge of perhaps previous mistakes we've made, and a lot of it's instinct. Before I leave the house, I know really what mood the bees will be in. I know what they'll be doing, roughly. I know how well they'll they'll welcome me or or otherwise. Uh, And that's very much because a lifetime of tending and caring for bees. It is a lifetime's work, and Hood's Honey is very much a family business, with Stuart having been around bees since a very early age. Well, I learnt my beekeeping from my father, who, uh, as a 14-year-old, had a great interest in nature and very fortunately had an uncle who saw this. And uh, his uncle watched him nurturing a a honeybee that had fallen on the ground in the garden and he went and bought him a beehive. And that was the start of our legacy. Stuart's father, George Hood, later started a beekeeping business. He met up with, learned from and became the protégé of the man who essentially kicked off commercial beekeeping in Scotland and is often credited as Scotland's greatest ever beekeeper, Willie Smith. We very much follow the, the Smith, the strain of bee, the Smith uh, system for looking after our bees. And we've even got, we keep notebooks and we still use the same shorthand that Willie Smith used back in there. We still have some of his notebooks from the 1950s and 70 years ago. Such a legacy. It is, yeah. And now we've moved on, and now my daughter is now working in the business, and she's 17 years old. So, if you include Willie Smith, this is now fourth generation. Indeed, I think my very first memory was my father kissing me goodnight, and a bee that was in his clothes stung me. And I could only be maybe two years old, maybe three. We have photographs of me lifting a roof of a hive, barely, barely able to walk and stand up at the time. If and a pound for every time I've been stung. I've been sitting on a beach somewhere, <laughs> my feet up drinking cocktails. But I wouldn't be, I'd still be looking after my bees, to be honest with you. You can hear in Stuart's voice a lifetime's worth of dedication to the art of beekeeping. And who can blame him? Bees have long fascinated human beings, and the art of beekeeping itself can be traced back thousands of years. I mean, we know we know that people have been messing about with bees, um, honey, basically honey hunters from the Stone Age. As that there are cave paintings from Spain that date back um, to 6,000 years BC. That's Mark Barnett. He's a researcher at the University of Edinburgh's Roslyn Institute, what you might call a bee scientist. But he's also an expert beekeeper himself, 
and interested in the history of managed beekeeping, as it's known, throughout human society. Yes, so managed beekeeping uh, goes back about four and a half thousand years uh, where beekeepers were keeping, uh, in ancient Egypt, they were keeping bees in clay pipes um, and, and, and they still do. I think that, that practice, uh, there are still some beekeepers in Egypt, I think, keeping bees in these clay pipes. And, and the, the honeybee was very important to the ancient Egyptians. It, they, were, they were thought to be the, you know, the tears of the sun god Ra. Mark says that bees are not only important from a very practical perspective, but have often been used as a symbol to represent ideas in human culture throughout millennia. So, for example, Napoleon Bonaparte uh, used the bee as his emblem and was included in a lot of his heraldry. Um, um, honey is taken to mosques by Muslims. Um, uh, it gets quite a lot of mention in the Quran. Um, also mentioned in in the Christian Bible, um, it's uh, been used as a symbol of industry. Uh, for example, the town hall in Manchester has a honey bee, honey bee mosaic on it on its floor. Um, and in, in more recent times, um, the honey bee's been used as a, a symbol of unity. So when there was the terrorist attack on the Manchester Arena in May 2017, um, the people of Manchester used the honey bee you know, as, as the symbol of their, uh, of their unity and resilience. Okay, so bees have been highly valued by humans throughout the years. But why do we have them at the Scottish Parliament? Well, here's our Sustainable Development Manager, Victoria Barbie, to explain. By having bees at the Parliament, we are helping to increase the number of bee population that there is in the surrounding area but also hopefully encouraging other landowners and organisations to consider having their own bees as well and keeping them on site too. The architect's vision for the, the Scottish Parliament when it was built was all around um, representing both the people of Scotland, but also Scotland's landscape. So we do have lots of lovely wildflower plantings and green fingers that stretch out into Arthur's seat. And so that landscape really does lend itself to, to having bees. Even though it's just one of many sites for Hood's honey, Stuart is very pleased that some of his bees have a home here at the Scottish Parliament. Uh, it's a great site. They thrive on the wildflowers that are in the Holyrood Park right on the doorstep and uh, obviously a great thing for the parliament to have them there great for the biodiversity locally uh, obviously there's been a few challenges over the years with the last two years of covid and lockdown and limited access to the hives that's right it turns out that when all us humans went into lockdown recently and nobody was coming into the scottish parliament building for that time well the bees were essentially on lockdown too how did they survive? Uh, we made a decision during lockdown that we didn't remove honey from the hives. We left the honey on the hives. If we were completely shut down again and we couldn't go and feed our bees, we couldn't import the special sugars we get from uh, Germany and Belgium, and we've taken all the honey off, the bees aren't going to survive. So I think it was a prudent step. Let them keep all their honey and uh, let them hunker down and get through lockdown like we did. The bees survived just fine during lockdown, by the way. And that brings us to the topic of honey. 
You'll be glad to hear that Stuart thinks there will be enough of the stuff this year that it can be harvested and sold in the Parliament's gift shop. So, keep an eye open for that when the time comes. But what exactly is honey, and how is it made? Let's turn back to our bee scientist, Mark. The honey is for the bees to get through the winter. The bee colony sends out nectar foragers. Um, they, they find um, flowers, uh, sources of nectar. Um, they basically drink the nectar. Into, they have a special stomach called a, a honey stomach. And then they, keep the, they can keep the nectar in their honey stomach and then they fly back to the colony. And when they get back to the colony, they offload it to another bee. And that's so they can get straight back out and get some more nectar. And then the bee that uh, takes the nectar will take it um, up above uh, the, the brood nest in, in the honeybee colony. And then it will be deposited in a cell, a cell in the honeycomb. Now, that, um, what, what, in order to turn that into honey, you need to remove the water from it. So the bees basically waft air over it. They put it, they put it in their mouth parts and, and waft air and flap their wings. And, and that takes the water off it. And so, I mean, nectar might be, um, you know, it could be 75% water, but honey needs to be around about, well, less than 20% water generally. Every beehive produces a different kind of honey based on where the bees live and what they pollinate, according to Stuart. And the unique thing is it's like uh, malt whiskies. The, the different crops will give you a different colour of honey. They'll give you a different taste of honey, different texture even. So that Scottish Parliament honey will have its own unique taste. And if you're walking around Holyrood Park or the grounds surrounding our building, you might just spot some of the Parliament bees hard at work, pollinating the flowers around us. And this is perhaps their most essential role in the ecosystem. The, the most important thing about bees uh, isn't honey, it's pollination. So honeybees, um, I think, as, as, as an economic value to, to us, they're, they're worth, um, you know, between, between 100 and 200 billion pounds a year to the global economy. Um, they're also worth 600, you know, the value of pollination is worth 690 million pounds to the UK economy. It's not just bees that pollinate. Other insects like flies and beetles and even other animals like bats play a part in pollinating plants. Something that Victoria explains is essential to life on Earth. It's really important that we have bees to help uh, pollinate different plants and species and of course really important for growing food uh, without bees on the planet we wouldn't have things like chocolate and wine and coffee and all the good things that uh, that i certainly enjoy anyway uh, so um, bees are part of that kind of complex um, mixture of biodiversity which keeps the the planet healthy and safe and keeps supporting human life in terms of, of food production Stuart Hood, of course, supports this philosophy. As a famous saying goes, if the bees go, we go. Is that true? Uh, oh, without a doubt. They're, they're, they're key to everything we do, everything we eat. All our ecosystems depend on bees. 
They pollinate crops that are they're, they're, they're crucial to the survival of the human race. And here's another thing. During this intricate process of turning nectar into honey, there is an interesting substance that bees produce that's worth mentioning at this point, and that's beeswax. Beeswax is a, a byproduct of beekeeping. It's the, uh, it's the building blocks that they use in, the, uh, in their hive. Obviously, they use the, the shape as hexagonal, uh, and that's proven scientifically to be the strongest shape there is for supporting weight. And that's what they do. They draw the wax out in hexagonal shape. They fill it with uh, pollen or fill it with honey. Once they've filled it with honey, they seal it over with wax. And that basically is like sealing any drink, any food, and it keeps it pure, it keeps it in the highest quality. Uh, and so it's, it's crucial to what they do. So obviously when we take honey off and we extract it, there's always a byproduct. there's a lot of wax comes off. So we process that, extra wax, and we, uh, a lot of that has now has been used since uh, the reconvention of the Scottish Parliament. Uh, to seal every act of the Scottish Parliament, letters patent, and it's used to fill the Queen's Great Seal of Scotland, which is the thing we were always immensely proud of. That unique use of our own beeswax to fill a special wax seal that goes onto every printed act that's passed here at the Scottish Parliament, that's a great story to share with some of the other legislatures of the world, who apparently have taken some inspiration from us, according to Victoria. I like the idea that we grow our own wax. It's kind of hard to know if we were the first, because I imagine in the past, keeping bees was something that lots of organisations and institutions would have done, um, you know, monasteries and, and things like that. But I think in modern times, we, we must be one of the first parliaments to keep bees. And I do know that lots of other parliaments have shown an interest in our bees and our beehives and have learned from us and are considering, if not, have already got their own bees in place now. So I know in Canada, there's a few of their um, regional parliaments that have, have got beehives and in New Zealand as well. Sadly, bee populations in Europe are suffering. And so raising awareness of their plight and making small differences where you live are vital. Globally, there's 20,000 species of bees. Um, you've got in the UK, you've got one species of honeybee, you have 25 to 27 species of bumblebee, and I think 214 species of solitary bee. And a lot of these species are endangered. We need to make our cities uh, more you know, friendly uh, towards pollinators. Uh, we need to make our countryside more friendly towards pollinators. And so I think it's really good that you've got honeybees in the Scottish Parliament acting as, uh, acting as ambassadors for pollinators. Stuart says that loss of habitat has been a major cause for the decline of bee populations. But perhaps that's not always going to be the case? I think we've probably seen a change in that during lockdown where people are working from home, back in their gardens, more wildflowers, more plants are more aware of the needs of bees. And that is, that's, that's crucial to us. Awareness is really, really important. Mark has similar advice for ways in which we can all help. Although it's quite depressing that uh, you know, many pollinators are in decline, 
there is something that everybody can do and that's basically plant more flowers and trees and give them what they need which is something to eat. Of course, improving bee populations is just one piece of a complex puzzle that makes up our diverse ecosystems. These systems are under increasing threat due to rising global temperatures that have led Scotland, the UK as a whole and dozens of other countries to declare that we're living in a climate emergency. With this in mind, Victoria lists some of the other measures being undertaken by the Scottish Parliament to try and make a difference. We do a lot of things to try and reduce our uh, carbon footprint. So all of our electricity is generated from renewable sources. We do a lot to encourage people to adopt active and sustainable travel practices. So walking and cycling to work and on business rather than driving or, um, or flying. We do a lot to reduce the amount of water that we use in the Parliament building. There are actually a couple of boreholes where we extract water from under Arthur's seat. So we use that for flushing toilets rather than using um, mains water, which has got a high carbon footprint. We also do lots to plant uh, wildflowers and encourage that biodiversity across the site. You can read the Scottish Parliament's biodiversity statement listing all of our environmental endeavours on our website. And while you're there, why not book a ticket and join us for a guided tour? The building is back open to visitors and our staff will happily take you around and tell you a bit about our history. While you won't necessarily get to see the beehives, there's plenty of other stops on our tour, from the famous garden lobby steps, up to the glass corridor, and to the debating chamber itself. Thanks to Stuart Hood, Victoria Barbie and Mark Barnett for joining me on this episode. And thanks to you for listening.